3: I'm
1: all
4: right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, lucky, Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good <laughs> question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program.
0: Good morning, Tom. How you doing?
4: Hey, at least I got the Tom part right.
0: The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation.
3: Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is the author of a new book called The Apocalypse Game, which has been described as a speculative fiction and a supernatural techno-thriller as well as spiritual. His name is D.C. Smith. He joins me by phone. Good morning, D.C. Welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me.
4: It's good um, to be here. How do you manage to um, be speculative and, and uh, mix spirituality with uh, a supernatural techno-thriller?
2: Well, thank you for the question. That's a good question, and um, you know, for me, I wanted to tell the story of how what comes next uh, for all of us. And and uh, you know, a poll recently, a Pew poll, had forty-one percent of Americans believe the apocalypse has already begun or soon will. And I wanted to tell that story of how um, you know, unbridled science uh, the. Uh, uh, government with, with no limits to their power, the elites, uh, and artificial intelligence play into the su- supernatural evil and actually drive the tribulation period.
4: Let me ask you about the tribulation period because I, I've i always wondered, because the story of end times has been around as long as the Bible, of course, and I've I've wondered a number of times if, for example, um, prisoners of war in in the concentration camps in World War II, if from their perspective, it wasn't already the apocalypse.
2: Well, I think that uh, they must have. Right? And and and, and what I'm
4: getting war. at is is. Um, it, it, do do we have enough of a description to know when we're in it?
2: You know, I, I wonder if we will know <clears throat> whether we're in it or not. Yeah, uh, D.C., now, I'm not trying no, I'm to put
4: you on the spot. It's just that, you know, this is such an and interesting concept and i read the same stuff you read and i've talked to people who you know think oh you know this is end times they see you know russians invading ukraine and you know problems still going on in the middle east and and say you know it's here
2: you know that there are, uh, if, if you're a believer, or even if you're not a believer, it doesn't change what happened. But there, are, there are apparitions of uh, Jesus's mother, uh, the Virgin Mary, uh, that have happened since you know 1917 in Fatima, Portugal, that described what would happen and, and uh, how uh, World War One would end, how World War Two would happen, and how the Third World War, which would be the tribulation period, would happen. And those there are allegedly uh, those visions still happening around the world today uh, with these. Um, with these visionaries that talk about the tribulation period has started now that's not why i wrote this book series because i started on this book series seven years ago uh, and i did this to write a, um, a fictional thriller that really uh, is meant to uh encourage the reader to think about uh, their own personal value systems and, and really that's a very subtle theme throughout the book series uh, book two is coming out in september and um the, the you know it's really about uh you know, I took a completely different approach to writing something that's talking about uh, Christian end times because I, I the protagonist is uh, a brilliant and devout atheist. So he he approaches the world. Uh, he, he's a he's a terribly crippled, a handicapped young man in a motorized wheelchair in New York City, who just wants to get the girl, the totally unattainable girl he loves, and he wants to cure his body. So he he and his artificial intelligence friend a few years from now. Um, you know, go about trying to use genomic science to change his body uh, back to that of what he hopes will be a handsome man to get the girl. Well, as this story unfolds, uh, we see how, you know, unbridled science, how really dangerous synthetic biology is and can be and already is uh, in our society today, but also artificial intelligence, but then all, all of it led by supernatural evil. So there's a marvelous tension in the book because he is an atheist. He does not believe in God, thus does not believe in demons. Yet he is haunted by a demon that that gently, and sometimes not so gently, steers him uh, towards uh, towards helping the uh, uh, the apocalypse happen, elements of the apocalypse happen.
4: DC, I'm glad you were able to work in uh, a little bit of the synopsis of the book, so we can have this conversation with. Uh, more of the book as context Um, do you find that when you talk about uh, when you bring familiar themes into what is basically a a novel a work of fiction um, that it becomes more engaging the way the way some people who write historic novels um, do
2: I do I, I uh, b- by training I'm an uh, electrical engineer with a great love and speciality in physics uh, for many many decades and uh, I'm a graduate level economist so w- what I have done in my career is run technology businesses and and what i what I've done is uh, written a story that the science is probable uh, a few years from now uh, and uh, not improbable uh, so I, what I, I really worked hard to make sure the story uh, a reader, even a scientifically sophisticated reader, uh, would read it and go, Yeah, this could happen and I think that that brings the story home uh, makes it much more solid, even as it becomes increasingly fantastical in in later books. I, I really wanted to tie it to reality, you know and the, not make something that would be considered fantasy
4: the um you know it reminds me a little bit as you talk about artificial intelligence um that when uh, Andrew Yang announced he was running for president back in 2016 it was actually before that but um, he wrote a book and and he speculated that the development of technology and including AI and other things were going was going to create an environment where there were not enough jobs for humans and he used that as rationale for why we should look seriously at changing the economy. And he, among others, suggested uh, the UBI, a universal business, uh, or what was it, universal basic income. And, um, and, and I just wonder, as someone who works in and speculates about technology, is is that a, a serious concern? Twenty, fifty, a hundred years down the road, as technology continues to
2: evolve. I think it is, in a, a lot sooner than a hundred years. I uh, and really uh, in the history, I, I, I thought, thought the same
4: thing, th- DC. I thought the same yeah. thing as soon as I said it out loud.
2: Well, it's coming quickly, uh, and. Uh, You know, there will be a moment of singularity in physics terms. There will be a moment where something comes from nothing before, as in the Big Bang that created our universe. And there'll be a moment when the first AI is truly sentient and can think for itself. Uh, Because the moment it can do that, it'll apply its vast resources to uh, expanding its capability, and it'll be off and gone. And uh, it will be so advanced, uh, it will be as though talking to a god, which is, which is an interesting premise for a fiction novel, uh, and it's one I play with a lot in the book series. Um, but I do think, you know, Jonas as my protagonist, is uh, he's an anti-hero, he's the most unlikely hero, and he's a good-natured, you know, the reader loves him. And what he wants to do is, is uh, uh, turn over society. He wants to raise up the poor, the masses, the suffering, uh, uh, and uh, bring down the elites. And uh, I think uh, many people will get behind, you know, what he's trying to do, despite that he is an atheist, but of course, he's got to deal with supernatural uh, uh, efforts all around him, both dark and light, how, and I how hope do, that'll work itself out.
4: How do things go awry for Jonas? I mean, he starts out, all he wants to do is is get this this woman that he's fond of to fall in love with him, and he ends up getting everybody to hate him. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> FBI, the police, the, you know, the tech well, titan.
2: Yes, yes. You're right. He gets, he gets the powers that be, uh, the elites, uh, to hate him. But actually, the masters love him, because he, what he wants to do is give people lives of leisure and extend their lifespans greatly using synthetic biology. So he's, he's, he's pursuing a path that will, will lead to much, much longer life, lifespans and little work, which is, to your point, your question earlier... Will, will there be a day where uh, AI does most of the production, and robots do most of the cleaning, and humans are, e- depending on your perspective, are either uh, uh, enjoying that ride or, or perhaps they become super- superfluous, you know, unneeded. I think that that is the great debate.
4: Well, that that is the great fear. As long, indeed,
5: as, absolutely.
4: As long as you're speculating uh, in in the book. Um, is is there a future for humans different than we've known in the past in terms of uh, industrialization and and before that farming and agriculture and so on? You know, what what is the role of humans in a um, high-tech evolved world?
2: Well, and, and would an AI tolerate uh, Eight billion people, who many of many of whom who lie, cheat, steal, and war.
4: That's a lot why, of mouths. That's AI, a lot of mouths to feed.
2: Well, and it's a lot to tolerate <laughs> if they're dishon- dishonest. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's uh, those are some of the themes that I test in the book series. <laughs> and uh, but I think it's it's all this is real stuff. This is coming. We're going to be dealing with it uh, in the next two decades. I think in more of the, your twenty-year time frame not sooner you know in recent reports in the news you probably saw them as uh some people out of google claim that they have the first sentient ai operating there an ai that claims it's lonely and and uh so forth that has feelings um and so we will see if that is true if it is true the first thing google has asked that ai to do i'm sure is make itself better stronger smarter and it'll be off and running and there'll be no way to catch it it won't be as though there'll be a A world what i test in the book series i don't see the scenario where you have a world full of you know thousands or millions or billions of ais i think you'll have a world with one ai because once once you get the first one it will advance so fast uh, that there will be no others i mean there's no reason to have others
4: now i I hope i'm not stepping on something you've written or are writing but wouldn't that evolve out of a number of AIs warring for the top spot?
2: You know, if, if you had a number <laughs> of AIs... I mean, I uh, just have this, uh, this... This is fun fun stuff, right? Fun to speculate. It is.
5: Yeah. Because, yeah. you I think, know, yeah, I, I would think that a- there a- a- are
4: a bunch of different um, tech firms all sort of racing to be, you know, the company that... that creates the sentient AI and, and they all have versions of it that, that have to topple each other until there's one standing.
2: Well, that's right. I think so. And, of course, China is investing enormous resources. Everybody understands who gets the first one probably wins the whole game. And uh, everybody's racing for that first one. Probably it's, it's probably either going to be us or China. But once you have that first one, you've got to remember AI you know it doesn't necessarily watch tv it doesn't play golf it doesn't chase uh, uh, the opposite sex or the same sex or whatever uh it it will focus 24 hours a day it doesn't need sleep so if you if you get one and you ask it to work on the problem of making itself smarter full-time it will do so and uh i think uh i think it's more likely uh, that you that the first one that there is races ahead so fast uh, it will be very difficult for anybody else to catch up. One super AI with maybe some small AIs elsewhere.
4: You know, it's easy to imagine because of the amount of um, experience we have with, uh, with computers and, and the way they um, gather and store information for us um, to imagine an AI you know, collecting all the information there is to have and storing that. And 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 yet I wonder about insight and creativity. And I want to talk about that, but I have to take a break here. D.C., can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Yeah, you bet. Tom. I'm oh, here. All right. D.C. Smith, author of The Apocalypse, uh, Apocalypse Game. And uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back and talk some more right after this.
5: Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you are listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do you can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1 800 422 Jail. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
1: Our fellow Americans, right now the COVID 19 vaccines
0: are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated
2: when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and
6: moving our country forward. It's up to you.
5: Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues.
3: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation, a uh, very f- interesting and fascinating conversation, with the author of a new book called The apocalypse, apocalypse... I don't know why it's so hard for me to say apocalypse today. The Apocalypse Game... Um, the author's name, DC Smith, and he joins me by phone. DC, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that.
2: No, that's, that's quite all right. Um, I'm enjoying my coffee.
4: Good, good. Just before the um, just before the break, I, I was I was trying to get to and bring up the point of it's easy to imagine um, artificial intelligence being tasked with making itself smarter. And, and, and assume that that's limited to the collection of additional information or data, but what about insight and um, and creativity? How do we how do we get artificial intelligence to do those things, or are are those things uh, strictly organic?
2: Yes, and, and, and are those things um, the result of our consciousness, which they are, obviously, and what is consciousness? And, and uh, <coughs> you know, with this AI...
4: Well, you mentioned uh, in the last when, segment, it, you know, um, Google claiming they have an AI that's sentient.
2: Yeah, a few employees there, or ex-employees, have claimed that there is one. And, you know, is that so, and what does that mean? And uh, does, you know, is, is it truly self-aware? That is the question. Because if it is, you know, is it asking itself questions of why, who am I, and why am I here? Um, or does it ask itself questions like we are in in this in your program here, or I have in the book series about what comes next? And uh, in the book series, you know, of course, we're all now these days. It's only been a few years, but we're used to Alexa from Amazon. We're used to Siri from Apple. We used to be uh, AI assistants. Even I have a, an 80-year-old friend, friend, and he no longer looks up phone numbers. He picks up his phone and says, hey, hey Siri, call so-and-so. And we're used to that now. We've suddenly gone from, uh, you know, where computers couldn't understand human speech and all of our dialects to they do easily. Uh, so what happens in the book series is what happens when you take it that next step and one of them actually becomes self-aware where, where it begins to uh, – see itself as the uh, protagonist in its own story if you will i think that uh, that is the question and uh, you know elon musk for example has called out that as one of the biggest threats to uh, humanity and civilization i agree uh, i also call out uh, that there's one other which is synthetic biology uh, you, you might be aware that uh, scientists uh, in that field these days have made life forms uh, from scratch uh, that is actually making the dna strands from scratch and turning it into a life form and it started out as almost a joke where uh, some researchers even uh two decades ago now or one decade ago made uh, dogs for example that glow in the dark by splicing in some genes but it is in a sense advanced a great distance which is uh for example we see news reports of you might have seen it of of uh of pig hearts being transplanted into humans and it actually working yes Uh, uh, Yes, and the the way they did that, of course, is they spliced, they they changed the genes of the pig. Actually, what they did is they changed the genes of the pig in such a way that the pig's organs uh, would be human-like, so that we wouldn't reject them. But you have to think that through, because the brain is another organ. So these pigs uh, that they bred in Europe and here in China, uh, separately, three different uh, variations, have brains. pigs were already known as being very intelligent, Now they have brains that are presumably human-like. And what does that mean? You know, what are are the ethics of that? Uh, Of these perhaps now quite very intelligent pigs being kept in cages and slaughtered for various purposes in medical experiments. So I I think uh, if you look at even the uh, the great debate of the mRNA vaccines, COVID, uh, COVID is another, uh, if you believe uh, our intelligence agencies that this, very likely came from the Wuhan lab in China, COVID, uh, you know, that is a synthetic uh, biology. That, that is a created virus. And we used synthetic biology creating DNA strands, uh, genes, uh, in the vaccine, which, which uh, you know, no doubt that vaccine saved a lot of lives. It also cost a lot of healthy people their lives by using the CDC's own data. So we have, we have this godlike power now to create life. Uh, and what comes from that? And, and so I explore that in the in the book series. And, yeah, and, and you haven't is,
4: and even mentioned that,
2: what, cloning. That's absolutely right. So what I, and, and what what is the role of supernatural evil in all of this? And what is the role of all that playing into the end of the civilization as we know it? I mean, the end of the end of times, even the biblical end of times. It's not the end. It's a, ultimately it's a new beginning. But, what, what, uh, you know, is our civilization kind of reaching the point where it does implode? And would supernatural forces have a role in that? I mean, is it, would it be time? Would supernatural evil want it to implode?
4: You know, D.C., you keep using the phrase supernatural evil, and I wonder, do you characterize that in the book as... Um, a naturally occurring phenomenon or or is it characterized like a devil the way we perceive it in in Western
2: religions it is uh, I don't want to give too much away but it's yeah I don't mean it's a demon and uh, ultimately in the book I won't give it away but it's, uh, it's a very specific personality uh, not Satan but uh, a demon
4: well and, and I don't mean to bump into any spoiler alerts d c so feel 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 <laughs> free to right. protect those i'm you know i'm I'm happy to shift gears, but I would think it would almost have to have um that kind of of religious almost personification um, to challenge um Oh, forgive me. Uh, his name has gotten away from me. Jonas's um, uh, uh, atheism
2: Yes well, so the, you know what, what I explore is, I mean I, I, I once asked myself when I started working on this book series ten years ago, um, you know what is the necessary condition to have the biblical apocalypse? And, and, and what I came up with an answer for myself, at least, and I tested it with some uh, knowledgeable theologians, is that uh, uh, necessarily for that that to happen, of course, God has Obviously, God could stop that from happening. So God has to allow that to happen. God has to allow evil to rise. And why would God do that? And, it, and is it because society has largely turned itself, turns its back on God? When you look at our society today where so much of what is good is portrayed in the media and, and, and certainly in parts of our population as evil, and so much of what we all understand as self-destructive and evil is portrayed as good, uh, I think, uh, you know, one can make the argument that our civilization is turning its back on God, and, and which is a kind of a necessary condition for God to allow uh, evil to rise in the apocalypse. And so that is that is a a baseline condition, I think, for the apocalypse.
4: Well, and the the, the thing I see um, day in and day out because so much of the time, doing my radio show, we're talking about current events and politics is um, just just the uh, hatred and animosity between people in in somewhat factionalized camps and and there's this this whole f- stream of of activity on social media and so on where you either agree with me or you're a moron.
2: Yes. Yes, you know and and here here we we all have this fantastic benefit of living in a country uh, where we have a constitution. you know we live in this country where everybody has equal rights. Uh, obviously, there's still a few wrinkles on that here and there, but we all have equal rights. Uh, you know, women have the have equal rights to men. Uh, no matter what color skin you have, you have equal rights. And and the and the we, or for that matter, no matter what faith or no faith, you have equal rights. And the reason we have uh, all that type of country is directly because of um, you know uh, Jesus's uh, directive to treat your neighbor like yourself. And the people that wrote our constitutions wrote it that way. Uh, so, so we have this, you know, we have this Judeo-Christian structure in our country that gives everybody equal rights. How that's being twisted now, though, is that you know the goodness of that and the goodness of our constitution and the goodness of treating our neighbor like ourselves is in fact an evil that needs to be uh, thrown out. And I think, and I think, you know, if I look at our society today, accepting uh, our conversation about the devil and, and supernatural evil. Taking that away for a moment, you know, what is the devil in our society today? Uh, And to me, it is our media. You know, here we have a for-profit business structure, a for-profit industry that is set out to divide to increase their profits, to to create hate uh, and distrust to increase their profits.
4: Well, at DC, at first I was I was getting a little defensive when you brought up media, but then when you brought in the profit thing, I realized, oh wait a minute, this doesn't apply to me.
2: <laughs>
4: good, good. <laughs> um, but DC, when when you started writing this series, did it? Did you start out with it? being a series was that in mind or did you get to the end of the first book and think but wait there's more
2: no I started out with it as a series because uh, my my whole purpose of it uh, if I really helicopter up is to uh, as I said earlier to, to for to encourage people through the action to consider value systems but also Uh, to pull in the secular and even atheist viewer because it's a fantastical story in the end with plagues and beasts and things that are really uh, big screen, you know, computer-generated graphics, uh, a fun story. Are you picturing... of course, an an atheist protagonist. So I want to draw in those secular readers and take them on a journey. And uh, so I I originally envisioned this to be around nine books. Today, I I believe it'll be around ten books.
4: Are you when you're writing this book are you picturing it on the big screen i mean do you write visually like that
2: i really do some people have said it reads almost like a screenplay and um i, I do I, I i see it and i see you know i i feel the characters and i see the action if you will and uh so i've gotten a lot of really strong feedback on this book one about how cinemagraphic it is i mean it's it's set in new york city a few years from now it's it's, you know, uh, you know Trinity Cemetery uh, over by Haram, which is full of mausoleums and tombstones and foggy nights, and, and you know, there's mm. a, a STEM school there, an actual STEM school, I, I rename it, but it's, it's a gothic buildings with gargoyles, and that's where he's, you know, kind of matures, uh, the protagonist matures. So it's it's gothic, it's dark and gritty, um, uh, and uh, uh, very, very cinematic, cinematic, cinematic with uh, scenes inside of St. Patrick's Cathedral. and. So you got even though he is, he is an atheist and brilliant, uh, the most brilliant human who's ever lived, and, and he can articulate why he's an atheist and understand it at, at, at given where he's at. Uh, we see all these forces around him in the sense of these you know the, these scenes, these cinematographic scenes that are that are uh, dramatic, you know the ruins of churches and um, so uh, I've made something I believe that is kind of dark and gritty, a la the Joker, you know sense. Uh, but with some uh, good elements circling around Jonas, trying to uh, steer him towards the light, including the girl he's madly in love with, who who might be the last living flawed saint.
4: Boy, <laughs> <laughs> well, you just keep piling it in there, don't you, um, DC? How did you how did you get started writing?
2: Yeah, you know I. Um, that is a great question because you know I'm I traditionally you know electrical engineering and economics are uh, I suppose about as right brain as you can get uh, you know so the great challenge I had when I took up so I used to tell the story to my five kids as they grew up uh, at night they'd ask me to continue the story and so it kind of went on forever and when my oldest daughter went to college at UT Austin back in the day uh, she said you should turn that into a book series and so I said you know what a you know I thought about it a few days and I said what a fine idea. Well, what a journey. I committed to do it without understanding what I'd committed to. <laughs> so,
4: Having talked to I, a number uh, of successful writers, <laughs> I, I can only imagine what a journey that was, oh, D.C.
2: Oh, oh. I've rewritten this first book 15 times, front to back, as my uh, evolution of understanding how to uh, tell a fiction story well, uh, be very engaging. You know, a page-turner people don't want to put down. I've rewritten it front to back uh, as my writing voice evolved, uh, but I believe I've it our, our feedback is very strong. That its reviews are strong. You know, it's a page turner.
4: Now, because uh, of you, well, yeah,
2: oh, go, 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 go ahead. I just a... want to say one thing. Go ahead. The, the funniest thing is is that uh, what you know, grammar matters. <laughs> so yeah, if you're if you're uh, if you're right brain to get that left brain to think in the sense of of. Um, Setting structures and grammar is was uh, was the most difficult part of my journey, really.
4: Now, the Apocalypse Game is the first book in the series. Is it your first book?
2: It it is both my first book and the first in the series.
4: Okay, and you said that you believe the book will be or the series will be about nine books, possibly ten. You're starting to think it might be as many as ten. How many of those are written, or are you a very detailed outliner?
2: I am not a detailed outliner. I I don't really do any outlines. Um, And uh, so today, I've written five of them because I want to know where the story's going, and and, uh, I want it all to tie together well. I spent the last seven years really writing the first five books, Uh, almost uh, three-quarters of a million words in uh, those five books. So for me to, you know, to get these out, they'll be coming out, you know, typically in a book series, a major book series. These are uh, 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 detailed books with a lot of layering. Uh, It can take years, you know, uh, between books. Uh, These will come out faster simply because I've been working on them full time for seven years. And um, so really what I need to do, you know, book two, I'm just uh, proofing right now. Uh, I'm working in book three. I've got to do another draft of four, you know. So I work on uh, multiple books simultaneously to make sure that they, you know, all the layering and the details and the various threads, storyline threads and character threads um, integrate well.
4: Are you in a position where you can write full time?
2: Yes. Yeah, I I left industry um, in 2015 uh, to do this full time. And for me, that is what is full time? Uh, For me, that is six days a week uh five hours a day five five keyboard hours a day and then i spend a lot of time either uh we live kind of where the road ends at the sea in moorhead city north carolina and uh, my wife and i go uh, walking on the beach long walks and you know i bend her ear uh on and on about you know plot points and characters and she she gives me good advice so we spend. i i work on it you know full time Uh, but about five five keyboard hours a day and you know it's a It's an obsession for me, really. It's a passion because I really want this. I think this story is a story for our time because I do think our world's in a difficult place, and I want to get this story out there to, uh, you know, again, as I said, uh, to encourage people to think about their own personal role in our society's structure and what comes next.
4: D.C., when you're writing... um... Or or when you started to write this or, or when you started telling the story to your kids, did you have the story in mind and then cast characters into it like a movie? Or did you have characters and then start developing the kinds of things that would happen to them?
2: You know uh interesting because i I started it as a as a story that would appeal to young children, so the first book I wrote actually it is another novel uh, written and not published uh but it it is actually book seven uh and it it'll, it'll need some revision but I started it as a a story where where this story takes a big change uh and there are some younger people and so when I wrote that that story, it really forced me to crystallize well where does this story start and how does it start uh and and um so I went back and, and wrote book one, and that really, you know, was where I captured. Well, how did how did all these characters come together? Who is each character? What's their backstory? What's their agenda? And um, so, it, it, interesting, it's kind of started, you know, in the late middle of the story, out in the seven. Uh, and we'll get we'll get back to that book in a few years <laughs> and revise it. But but the characters, uh, you know, to your question, uh, the characters lead the story. You know, there's an overall overall big uh, plot. Uh, structure to the story but what I found is that the characters you know are unique and the things they say and do often surprise me uh, and leading to story twists I didn't expect you know so it's not scripted it's not there's no outline where I uh, where I do that uh, the characters leave it which is really fun for me
4: the um, now that you've got this this first book finished from all of the <laughs> the different rewrites and all of that do you have you learned enough now that the process of completing books two through ten will go certainly more quickly and and maybe be a little less of a journey as this first one has been
2: yeah absolutely yeah absolutely in fact it was a uh, And epiphany, when my my writing voice, that's what the literary, you're probably familiar but for your audience, um, you know, the literary industry kind of calls it your voice, the the way you write, kind of your own personal sound, the way you approach. And uh, when that finally crystallized, it was maybe three years ago, and I had worked on these books, you know, for a number of years then. And I went through a kind of a mad mad intense two years where I rewrote those first four books uh, completely. Uh, in this new voice, and and that still holds. But that voice has not changed now. So these uh, I expect since they've already been written that way, now it's when I, for example two, I'm proofing two, working in three, it's it's really ma- ma- making sure that every thread is followed, you know each each plot thread, uh, each character thread, so that I don't leave a reader in book three, for example, Wondering, well, what the heck ever happened to that character? I mean, I really like that character. You know, what are they doing now? In this, in, as uh, as the uh, plot has reached this new uh, level of tension, and uh, yeah, so it's it's, uh, it's to your answer your question, it goes much faster now. Yes, yeah, much faster. And I I look forward to getting to writing an, an actually brand new book, uh, which which won't be until I uh, work to finish five, uh, because it, it's it's much faster. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I can probably bang out a, a book now in about a year uh, from scratch to finish to be my guest, year to year and a quarter. Well,
4: D.C., we're, uh, the time has just flown by, and it's, um, it's time to wrap things up, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and keep track of your work. Do you have a website you'd like to share?
2: I do. Uh, it is uh, D.C. Smith, uh, D.C. Smith Books dot com. And if you go to D.C. Smith Books dot com, uh, there you can get the YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and so forth.
4: Well, D.C., it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much for spending your time with uh, me and the listeners and good luck with the apocalypse game and the uh, and, and the other books in the series to follow.
2: Well, thanks so much, Tom, and I hope you enjoy your summer up there. And, and thank you for your time. It was a pleasure to meet you. All right, take care. All right, bye bye. Bye
4: bye. Once again, DC Smith. The book is *The Apocalypse Game*, a uh, spiritual, speculative fiction, and a supernatural techno thriller. Should be a fascinating read. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOVLP, uh, LP. Our Voices Radio 92.1 FM Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Hearing. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Still a lot more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. Um, want you to stay with us. We'll be back.
1: Hello there citizens, Darkwing Duck here And every time I'm in Flint Fighting crime, I always Stop by the Tom Sumner program Don't forget, stay dangerous Darkwing Duck out
3: East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood Magazine read all over Flint With support from grants, donations And advertisers, East Village Magazine's Talented local writers give you an in-depth Look at local news, issues And people that make Flint Flint Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported.
6: Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
0: Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or
3: glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination, to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller. Or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov/vaccines or call 800 CDC INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hey, why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. You're not here, you're not. This
1: place is charging an arm and a leg.
3: Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual, but when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time but when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away! We're at a gas station!
5: Well, <sighs>
2: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and
5: you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
1: Was automation I know that was what was making the factory go <laughs> it was IBM it was UNIVAC it was all those gears going clickety clack <laughs> dear <laughs> I thought automation was keen Till you were replaced by a 10-ton machine. It was that computer that tore us apart, dear. Automation broke my heart. There's an RCA-503. Standing next to me, dear Where you used to be Doesn't have your smile Doesn't have your shape Just a bunch of punch cards And light bulbs and tape Dear You're a girl who's soft Warm and sweet But you're only human and that's obsolete Though I'm very fond of that new 503 Dear, automation's not for me It was automation I'm told That's why I got fired and I'm out in the cold How could I have known When the 503 Started into blink It was winking at me Dear I thought it was just Some mishap When it sidled over And sat on my lap. But when it said I love you and gave me a hug, dear, that's when I pulled out. It's
0: plugged. I want to say just a few words about North Carolina, my home state. Possibly the finest state in this entire union. We got industry of all kinds, pretty country, raised corn, cotton, tobacco, peaches, peanuts, all like that. Got colleges all over the state, fine quality, pretty girls, and run off the finest white lightning made anywhere. (laughs) Hey, I see you all ain't forgot your raising. But it is it, it's uh well this uh this government stuff that you all use up here in New York, and all that'll kill you. <laughs> it will you can 't tell what's in it <laughs> here last uh, last New year's Eve, I was up in New York and uh, i got I got betrayed into drinking several several folks' health, and uh, I was trying to be as you know as robust as I could about it and uh I kept on drinking their healths, friends, till I'll tell you the truth, my own pretty near becoming endangered. <laughs> but, well, now that's not true about white lightning. Now you can tell what's in that because you can see through it. <laughs> and I never shall forget my first swallow of it. I, I took a good one and I swallowed her down and she hit bottom and, and my face turned red and my eyes rolled back and I gagged just a little bit. And then by and by, I got over it. And some of the boys says, how are you? And I says, boys, I'm doing fine, gaining ground all the time. And I think I've got her if she don't jump. Yes, he sir. I says, says, give me just a minute to rest and I'll try her again.
1: There
0: was, uh, there was one fella that lived there close to me there a while, a fella named Sam Wood. And he did, he made the best there was made anywhere around. But he had bad luck with it. He uh, seemed like every time he'd run off a batch, why well, he'd get caught. And he is on the county roads so long and got so old that they finally just put him to a cooking. And he is serving up the boys one night. He is serving up a mess of Creasy salad. That's turnip greens. It's, it's not really, I just don't know what else to call them. But he is serving them up and one of them called him back. Says Sam. Says, come in. Says, there's a lizard in my greens. <laughs> Sam looked back and forth and says, hush. Says, the others will want one, too. <laughs> they, I, I mean, they might be good fixed right. <laughs> Sam, he, uh, he used to, he had bad trouble with drinking a whole lot of it, too. But uh, he quit about, oh, five, six, seven years ago. And I got to talking about it with him one time. I said, Sam, did you ever have the DTs? He says, boy, I had them when they first come out. <laughs> now, I'd like to report to you here that there is excellent progress going on all over. Down there, even in, in the most backwoods communities at home, they're getting all kinds of modern conveniences. There was a fella that worked at the same factory that I used to with my daddy there in Mount Airy. And he come in out of the mountains one morning just as mad as he could be. And he says, Carl, says the people up there in the mountains getting to act just like the people in town. Says there's a family of them up there close to us that started putting screens on their windows. Shutting the flies out on everybody else. (laughs) And well, then too, I think this is pretty good. Uh nearly all, nearly all of our local officials can read and write now. <laughs> they can. And some of them do their own punctuating. <laughs>
1: there
0: was they was there was one in particular that I remember. He was learning pretty good. And he is down at the barber shop reading the paper. and Showing off.
1: <laughs>
0: and well, he is, he is reading along, and he says, uh, says, I see him while so-and-so paid the spring sacrifice. And the barber says, yeah, I heard where he is killed. Says, don't say he is killed. Says he paid the spring sacrifice. <laughs> it's not very funny. I just thought I'd tell you. <laughs> and we are, we are thrifty. I'm proud of that. I had an uncle one time. He said he bought him a new pair of shoes off a fella. Said he paid three dollars and a quarter for them. Pretty brown shoes. And said he put them on and he was walking on uptown. And said he was walking along and said his left shoe commenced to hurt him a little. And he was limping just a little bit and said he was walking on and he passed one of his friends. Says, what are you limping for? He says, I bought these shoes and this left one's hurting me just a little. He says, why don't you cut them? He says, I ain't gonna cut these shoes. Says, I paid three dollars and a quarter for them kept on walking there's a hurt and worse and he got studying about that thing and he got studying maybe that fella had something about cutting that shoe he says I took my knife and I cut a little hole just about that size right where the sewer was and he says yeah you know I wouldn't took three dollars and a quarter for that hole <laughs> He told me that, and I had to get up off the porch. (laughs) But now, them of you that has to live here in Washington, there's a whole lot to be admired about, about Washington, too. Cherry trees, monuments, and everything like that. The main thing, though, that I admire about Washington are the pretty girls and I'm bound to say that. They are as pretty and well-built as any I ever seen tried to fill a balloon dress. (laughs) And I love to look at them. My wife told me long time ago, she says, you can look at the pretty girls, but don't you never touch now. And friends, I've tried to live by that. Of course that throws me to do an extra lot of looking just to make up for that one handicap. (laughs) Well, I reckon we might as well go right ahead and get right on into the service. Is the choir ready? All right. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.